0: Welcome to all of you. We are uh, left of the room heavy today. That's nice. Hi. <laughs> the guitar side. Yeah, they all want to look at that wine red finish there. The winey red finish? No. Um, well, hey, uh, if you're just with us for the first time today, welcome. If you're a long-time regular person, welcome. Uh, we are started last week, we're doing this new thing where we start on time. It's really an amazing idea. Uh, and it's going to take us probably the entire summer to get used to it. So to all my friends over here, I will see you in five or ten minutes. Um, that's just the way that life goes. Uh, we're, we're making an effort to do that for a number of reasons, which I don't need to go into right now, but that's sort of a change we're making. Um, if you did not get a bulletin on your way in, it's a little folded paper there, You're going to want to get one, and the best way to get a hold of one later is during a passing of the peace moment, somebody usually hands them out, and you can get them then. Uh, But that's always got good information about what's going on at Artisan. Inside is an info card, which is a great way to start a conversation with us. You can put your email address on there and get our once-a-week e-newsletter, and you can put prayer requests, comments, questions. And we get those sometimes from newcomers, and we get them sometimes from long, 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 long long-time Artisan people. Uh, who have great comments and questions and things like that. So uh, if you are out there, go ahead and bring your coffee in. Totally fine to have coffee in this room and, and a little bit of food if you'd like. So we're doing this series on Proverbs, and I figured um, that I would read a few of them today. Some of my favorite funny kind of Proverbs. Um, we'll get into the serious ones later, but there's a few of them that made me chuckle. So here, here are some funny Proverbs. You can, these, these will serve as our call to worship. This is Scripture. Um Proverbs 16:31 gray hair is a crown of glory it is gained in a righteous life. I see uh I see one very righteous man in the back here. <laughs> I'm apparently getting more and more righteous as the days go by. What's that? Yeah, you do have me. Well, you you're a very righteous dude, Ken. Um Proverbs 17:12 Better to meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs. Than to confront a fool immersed in folly. I think like, uh, I never used the word "she bear" in normal spoken word life, so I just decided to use it today. Proverbs eighteen two. I call this one the Twitter verse. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing personal opinion. I'm going to make that my Facebook status. Yeah. <laughs> Proverbs twenty two thirteen. The lazy person says there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I have no idea what that means, but (laughs) but it's fun. Um, Proverbs 15, 16. Sorry, vegetarians. uh, Better is a dinner of vegetables where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. Um, So you vegetarians are okay as long as you're loving people. That's what that seems to say to me. And then one that's actually not funny at all, but but it's something that I think we all need to hear all the time. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Easier said than done. Uh, let me have you stand together and uh, join me in praying uh, for God's blessing on our time this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being here among us already. Uh, for the fact that your Holy Spirit calls us to worship you together. We pray that your Spirit would inhabit our worship, that you and your presence would be made known and real to us in all the acts of worship that we will participate in this morning, uh, in being gathered together, in hearing your word and it proclaimed, in coming to your Son's table to celebrate the sacrament of communion, and finally in being sent forth from this place. As we worship in that ancient fourfold pattern, We pray that we'd know you more and love you more, and our hearts would be changed by this encounter. We pray all these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are in the second and last week of this series in Proverbs. It's a little tiny series that we're sticking right into the summer here. And um, I'll remind you about last week, because if you missed last week, um, I need to catch you up just a little bit. Now, that Sermon audio is available online if you'd like to go listen to it. Um, I would encourage you to do that. But the thing to remember as we're going through, we're going to dig a little deeper with Proverbs today, but as we're going through that, remember what we said last week about that curve. Do you remember the curve from last week? We called it the the normal curve of human experience. Now, um, math-phobic people, this looks like math, but it's not. uh, I promise. So this curve explains... Uh, how likely certain sorts of things are to happen to us. So if you look at the level of tragedy, this is a bell curve. You might be familiar with that from school, if you went to school. Um, And in that case, the level of tragedy, uh, the least level of tragedy would be an A, and the the greatest level of tragedy would be an F, and most people would get Cs. It's a really horrible way to grade. But um, actually, what we find is that life kind of happens that way. And so if... if, uh, if you have a child who's in a tree and you say, be careful, you're going to fall. If you fall, you'll break your leg. Well, the breaking a leg might happen. Um, something much worse might happen. Something, nothing at all might happen. But in the middle is where the Proverbs tend to speak, right? So when the Proverbs say uh, something, such as train up a child in the way that he should go or he or she should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it, that's not a promise. It's not a guarantee like some of the other passages of Scripture are. That's a proverb. It's a probability. And so we have to talk about, when we talk about proverbs, we have to keep this in mind, that, that we're not talking about promises and um, <clears throat> that doesn't diminish their importance or their usefulness or their God-breathed nature uh, or the fact that they're inspired or any of those things. All of those things are still true even though we, we read them that way. So, so last week's title was uh, about ordinary life ordinary life. In other words, the Proverbs speak wisdom into a life that's in the fat part of that curve. The book of Proverbs contains wise, godly advice for ordinary life. But the nature of that wisdom and that, that, that content is really extraordinary. And so the, the series title is Extraordinary Wisdom for Ordinary Life. And today we're talking about some of that extraordinary wisdom Um, So today, we're, in other words, getting into the real content of the book of Proverbs. And unfortunately, since we just have one week to do it in, we're we're only going to get our feet a little bit wet in this. Now, there is so much more in the book of Proverbs. We literally could spend all summer, each week, talking about a different topic and really going deeply into each one of them. It's not the approach we decided to take. Um... We're going to hit a couple of the big ones today, and what I really, really, really want to encourage you to do is read the book of Proverbs on your own. Um, has anybody read the book of Proverbs on your own in the last month, just, uh, just by doing it? Okay, see, like three hands. Um, that's not uncommon. I, I don't think it's the book that most of us jump to when we want to do personal devotion and personal spiritual reading, but it's really great stuff. And if you haven't, haven't uh, gone into that book at all, you, you should. Um, and hopefully today's content will, will inspire you, will spark some interest into, into this book. Now, before we get going, there's a warning that we all need to heed. The warning is, is actually was our worship meditation today, and it was our worship meditation last week, and uh, it's, it's from the book of Proverbs, there's a little warning contained in there for us as we're looking at wisdom literature. Proverbs 12:15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. This is a very hard truth because what it means is that the people who most need wisdom, the people who need the most wisdom, are also the ones who are most likely to reject it. And you all know somebody like this, don't you? Some other person who's not you, who's just so foolish, and he, maybe it's a she, but probably not, um, (coughs) just won't listen to advice, no matter how good your advice is. (laughs) Today's advice is scriptural, and some of us need to hear it some of us, if not most of us, are going to hear it and think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I don't need that. Just be warned that that might mean that you are a fool if you say that. Again, not necessarily. Remember the curve, (laughs) but it might and probably means that you're a fool. Now, this same warning is repeated at the end of the prologue to the book of Proverbs, which we read last week. You remember I said that the, the book of Proverbs begins with a prologue that tells us why the book exists, tells us what the purpose of the book is? I'm going to read that to you briefly again. If you'd like to follow along, your read Bibles, uh, it's page 509. This is why the book was written for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. And ah, let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Real subtle, isn't it? So you see a repetition of this, of the the warning that was the worship meditation. It says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you hate this series, you're a fool. (laughs) But what does it also say right before that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now let me say something very briefly about that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Uh, This is another one of those things we could talk forever about. We just don't have time. It doesn't mean fear in the sense that you would be afraid of a tiger or even of a ghost, to use C.S. Lewis's uh, analogy. It's not that kind of fear. It's more a fear of God's amazing, awesome presence. Awesome in the pre-1980s sense of the word. Okay? It's a fear of your own inadequacy to be in God's presence. Now, one of our values at Artisan is awe. And it's it's kind of a difficult one to live out, but it's based on this concept. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What that seems to declare to me is that it's actually having a right relationship with God that is the beginning, that is the source of wisdom. You can have wisdom to a point, but if you don't have the right relationship with God, it's not going to go anywhere. Fear of the Lord, in the sense that I've just described it, is the catalyst that spurs you on to, to greater wisdom. Now the book of Proverbs says this elsewhere. It says it again in chapter 9, verse 10, and in chapter 15, verse 33, about the fear of the Lord and how it's directly tied to wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And what I think it ought to impose upon us is a level of humidity humidity) <laughs> Could you turn that air conditioner back on? (laughs) Um, Humility. (laughs) Um, I'm so wise. I can't even say humility. It ought to impose on us a certain level of humility about our own level of wisdom and about the fact that we are ultimately lost without a proper relationship with God. And that, of course, is consistent with the broader message of Scripture, isn't it? That our relationship with our Creator is broken by our self-centeredness, by our selfishness, by our arrogance. And really, couldn't you tie almost every sin, ultimately, to that tendency to be self-centered? And that breaks our relationship with our Creator. And that our, that, that our only hope in this world and the next is to have that relationship restored. Okay. Okay. So the warning is, fools despise wisdom. Keep that in mind. What I want to do now is to give you a sample of what the Proverbs say about two very important topics. Uh, The topics are money and sex. Okay? Um, Now, we're going to do money first. So if you have uh, sensitive listeners with you, or if you are a sensitive listener yourself, uh, you want to make an adjustment in the next few minutes, that is perfectly okay. We're not going to be too graphic, but fair warning. Okay? Okay. And we are going to have to go a little bit quickly here as well. Uh, Just just so much stuff. There's going to be a ton of scripture. Grab your Bibles. Be ready. Uh, A lot of it's not going to be on the screen. Always okay just to listen along. Okay, so money. What does the book of Proverbs say about money? Well, it turns out it says a lot of things about money. Um, One of the main things that it says, and it says this over and over and over again, is that Wisdom and godliness and knowledge and understanding are better than money, better than wealth, better than riches. I'll give you some examples. Proverbs 8.10. This, this is wisdom herself talking here. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Look uh, with me at Proverbs, if you will. It's Proverbs sixteen eight. Better is a little with righteousness than large income with injustice. So if you flip these Proverbs around, and there's a bunch more like that, just trust me. If you flip that around, it seems to indicate that, that having a lot of wealth carries with it the risk of foolishness and ungodliness, unrighteousness. Now, always remember the curve, okay? Um, that's not an always, but it's a maybe a usually. And that's, doesn't that seem like a weird choice? You can either be wealthy or you can be wise? Sort of like cake or death. Um, it's, it's just an odd choice. <laughs> I'll have the chicken, yeah. Um, when you come across something like that in Proverbs that just doesn't seem to make sense, why would I have to choose between those two things? Why shouldn't I be able to have both? I'm a smart guy. I'm capable of earning a lot of money or getting it somehow. Why can't I? Do, why, why? Remember the warning Fools despise wisdom. The connection is made in this text. Again and again. And I think it would be wise to to listen to it. And the cure that that the same text suggests, the book of Proverbs, is to make sure that the first thing you do with your money is honor the Lord with it. Let's look at chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, remember, in an agrarian society, um, produce and and stores of it was equivalent to wealth, okay? Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So, the, the book of Proverbs says, if you have money or wealth, the first thing that you should do with it is honor the Lord with it. Now, here again, we could spend the, the whole half hour that I have Talking about what it means to honor the Lord with your money and with your wealth um, I think it looks a lot of different ways And it doesn't just mean give the church all kinds of money um, Just to put that out there so you know where I'm coming from It can mean lots of other things uh, Honoring the Lord with your money is the important principle there And you notice that what it says is that if you will do that Then your barns are going to be full And you're, you know, you're going to have vats bursting with wine anyway. Everybody goes, yes. And then I remind you about the curve. (laughs) Okay? Just like a parent can do everything right and the kid still goes astray, sometimes you can do everything right with your money and still not end up being rich, okay? The people who tell you that if you give the right amount of money to the right ministries, you're going to have all the money you could ever want are lying, okay? Okay? But usually, if you follow this principle and give God honor and the first fruits, literally in this case, but figuratively in our case, in all likelihood, unless you own a vineyard, um, the the normal result, the fat part of the curve, is that you will be continually blessed. And Jesus seems to reiterate this concept sometimes, too, about the the parable with the servants who, some of them, I was just going to use a phrase that probably some of you wouldn't like, but uh, were careless with the money, um, and and they were thrown out. But the ones who who like were good with it were given more. Okay, um, that kind of thing is is sort of consistent in scripture, and you really can't dodge it as much as you might want to. Okay, so another very important um, concept in the Proverbs about money deals with the concept of borrowing and debt. All right, now. Um, Much of this will be familiar to you if you have taken or are currently taking uh, the Financial Peace University course that we offer here about once a year. And if you haven't, this this might be new to you, but um, it's it's dead on wisdom and I encourage you to listen to it either way. Um, One thing that is said over and over again is essentially that you should not co-sign on somebody else's debt. That's sort of a specific thing to find in the Bible, isn't it? It's a very specific piece of financial advice, but the the book of Proverbs says it several times. I'm going to read you just a few of them really quickly. 11.15. To guarantee loans for a stranger brings trouble, but there is safety in refusing to do so. 17.18. It is senseless to give a pledge to become surety for a neighbor. It means co-signing. 22.26. Do not be one of those who gives pledges, who becomes surety for debts. Again, really specific stuff. I don't know what else to preach to you except, yes, listen, it's wise. Okay? That that kind of thing is foolish. And then the most famous FPU verse, of course, if you are uh, one of the people who follows this way of financial life is Proverbs 22.7 the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender well but I have a credit card with lots of points <clears throat> well it's 0% financing well I don't have any other way to pay for my car or for school okay You're rejecting the wisdom, right? You are probably being foolish. I'll grant you the skinny ends of the curve, sure, but the fat part of the curve says if you are one of those people who rejects this concept and wants to cosine here and uh, have somebody else cosine there and borrow for this and borrow for that, I just say from my own experience, my 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 wonderful friends, dear God, do I wish somebody had said this to me 15 years ago before I started college. I'm not going to go any further with it because I'll just keep going and going and going. And, and the Bible in the book of Proverbs has lots more to say about money, but we need to move on from money. I want to spend the next few minutes on the other one, which is sex. Now, um, if, if I, the reason I chose these two... Thank you, Heidi. There's a person who sees a man in trouble and helps. The reason I chose these two topics is because I... I think, and I imagine that most of you would agree, that if, there's, if there are any allurements in our world today which are particularly vexing for us and particularly dangerous for us and hard to contain, it's money and sex. Would you agree? There might be something else. And for you, maybe it is something else. But I think for most of us, money and sex are the ones that we really, really need to think about. We've talked about money. Now we get to talk about sex. Um, now, most of the time when the book of Proverbs talks about this, I want, you to, I want you to be aware of this. It's talking about it from one particular perspective. The father, the wise father talking to the potentially foolish son. You notice there's no mothers or daughters in this conversation. Um, that is just the nature of this ancient bit of literature. We talked last week about how this is very clearly a patriarchal uh, society And um, so it's not exactly egalitarian in its presentation of this stuff But that doesn't mean it's not useful to us And that we shouldn't all learn from it Um, We could spend lots of time talking about what marriage was in that culture And what it is now and how they're different And they mean different things and all sorts of other stuff Uh, But I don't think we, we definitely don't have time And I don't think we need to do that in order to come to some understandings here But suffice it to say, the book of Proverbs is mostly going to place a large part of the sexual blame, especially with respect to adultery, on the so-called loose woman. Uh, Now, it's also pretty clear that the men who fall into these traps are stupid. Uh, But I think most of us rather be called stupid than loose. Uh, In any case, I think it would be accurate nowadays, given uh, the bar scene and the hookup culture, to switch these two things and make it interchangeable. In fact, nowadays, it may actually be more common for a loose man to seduce a foolish woman uh, into dangerous sexual encounters. Okay, enough qualifications. Have I given everybody a chance to to get kids out of the room if you want them to be and so forth? (laughs) Let's start with Proverbs 5. I'm going to read the first few verses here. My child, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, so that you may hold on to prudence, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a loose woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps Follow the path to Sheol. She does not keep straight to the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Um, that's a fairly clear statement. Do I need to explain what any of that means? Probably not. Let's jump ahead uh, to verse 15, which is a little bit less direct, a little bit more metaphorical, and it's it's um, speaking more Intentionally and directly to the man's behavior, the message is similar. Look at fifteen or five, fifteen. Now, remember, these are metaphors. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for sharing with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice. In the wife of your youth. I think rejoice is a euphemism. And if you disagree with me, let's continue reading. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, may her breasts satisfy you at all times. May you be intoxicated always by her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, by another woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For human ways are under the eyes of the Lord, and he examines all their paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare them, and they are caught in the toils of their sin. They die for lack of discipline, and because of their great folly, they are lost. Now, it's interesting to me that the the author of this book uh, is not particularly shy about the enjoyment of sex, uh, which is more than I can say for some Christian leaders today. Um, But the author certainly agrees with them on one point, which is that straying outside of your marriage Uh, To experience and enjoy sex Is a path to destruction And uh, You know I Even if I wanted to soft pedal that for you It would be intellectually dishonest for me to do so But like almost everything else in life The the, the risks of falling off In one direction Are there and then the risks of falling off in, In the other direction are also there and so I think when we're prudish about sex and, and uh, are unwilling to talk about it anywhere but in church uh, and embrace it as, as the gift that it is from God, then that's the kind of the, the corollary or the opposite, uh, rather, risk um, of being promiscuous. Let's go on. Um, Proverbs 6. Start with verse 25. Now, this, is, um, this passage refers to her, and the pronoun her just refers to uh, the wife of another. It says it earlier in the passage. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another stalks a man's very life. Can fire be carried in the bosom without burning one's clothes? Or can one walk on hot coals without scorching the feet? So is he who sleeps with his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Thieves are not despised who steal only to satisfy their appetite when they are hungry. Yet if they are caught, they will pay sevenfold. They will forfeit all the goods of their house. But he who commits adultery has no sense. He who does it destroys himself. Now, you might think that it's about to give us a a spiritual consequence for adultery. And I think that there is one. But actually, that's not where he goes with it. What he says is, he will get wounds. (laughs) He will get wounds. And dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury. And he shows no restraint when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. And refuses a bribe no matter how great. So, this is also fairly clear and direct, isn't it? And the consequences that the author of the Proverbs indicates will be present for those who commit adultery happen to be that you're likely to get your butt kicked. (laughs) I mean, the fat part of the curve. You know, maybe, probably. That doesn't mean that there isn't also this, this spiritual consequence. We're driving toward that. All right, and one last one. If you're getting antsy, it's almost over. Proverbs 7. This is, if you're paying attention now, three consecutive chapters that want to hammer this home. Um, And we're going to read 4 through 23. Chapter 7, verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Now, let's stop for just a second. You are my sister and you are my intimate friend. That means more than what it's saying there. If you were to read the Song of Solomon, which is uh, basically almost the whole thing about sex, the term sister and intimate friend is used in this Hebrew poetry to mean lover. Okay, so what the text is saying here in verse 4 is say to wisdom, You are my lover. And call insight, your intimate friends, so they may keep you from the loose woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. Again, with the smooth words. Um, And remember, we can flip these around gender-wise. They're both true. Now, here he goes on, and he's telling, telling his son a story here. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the simple ones, the stupid ones, I observed among the youths a young man without sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening at the time of night and darkness. Then a woman comes toward him, decked out like a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Uh, Let's jump ahead to verse 18, where she is saying to the man, Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home, He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. He will not come home until full moon. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And what does he do? Right away, he follows her and goes like an ox to the slaughter, or bounds like a stag, a deer, toward the trap, until an arrow pierces its entrails. He is like a bird rushing into a snare. Not knowing that it will cost him his life. That's some pretty powerful description right there, isn't it? That being tempted by this illicit sex is like a deer about to get his guts shot with an arrow. And as before, I think we can mostly let that stand on its own. I mean, it basically describes from soup to nuts what the problem is and what's going to happen if you, if you don't watch out. Except to say this. I think that this passage, this particular one in chapter 7, with its vivid description of the temptress, it's placed here deliberately to set up what follows in chapter 8. And uh, starting here is I, I've begun to put the page numbers on screen so that it's maybe a little easier to keep up. What happens in chapter 8 is we have a contrast given to uh, this so-called loose woman, which we see in in chapter 7, the adulteress. And what we see is wisdom personified. In other words, the idea of wisdom represented by a person, in particular, a woman. I'll read the first three verses to you here, and then we'll jump ahead to the passage on the screen. Um, Does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out. To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. And, and wisdom, she goes on like this. Um, and so this is kind of a neat thing, whereas... In all this conversation about sex, as I've said before, it seems to be most often the woman who is tempting the man. But here the the text does a really nice turn and also personifies wisdom as the woman calling to the man. And then this seduction, the, the seduction toward wisdom and insight and understanding, is the godly one. This is the one that you want to listen to and succumb to. Really interesting. Let's look ahead to verse 22. This next little passage is uh, pretty fascinating here. Still, it's wisdom talking. And what she says is this The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts, long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills. I was brought forth when he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea, its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. There are some really interesting parallels to this passage in the New Testament. Now remember, this is part of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures. And in the Christian scriptures, you see some really interesting passages that seem to correspond rather nicely to this where wisdom is talking about being present at the time of creation, even, even somehow involved in it. Will you jump ahead with me to the Gospel of John? If you go to page 862 in these red Bibles, that's where you want to be. I'll read the first five verses, which may be familiar to some of you. We just did a series, uh, started a series in John a while back and read this passage. See if this reminds you of the one from Proverbs 8. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Does that sound at all familiar? Does it seem to match up in any way? Turn ahead again to Colossians. We're going to go to page 956. I told you there's a lot of Scripture today. It's good. Soak it in. This is the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus, the Christ. Verse 15, chapter 115. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have come to have first place in everything. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So in addition to being a literary device, you might say that that personification of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8 also prefigures Jesus Christ. It offers almost a prophetic parallel uh, of who Jesus is. And the fact that he's present with God from the beginning, present at and in creation. And now let me bring it all home for you. And we have one more passage of Scripture today. I want to turn back now to 1 Corinthians, page 926 in these red Bibles. 1 Corinthians 1. This is a passage we read a few weeks ago. I'm going to read a few verses here. This is where all these ideas come together, where the, the wisdom of the Hebrew text in Proverbs and the uh, redemption offered in Christ in the Christian text come together in this beautiful, if somewhat confusing and challenging passage. Start with verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. And verse 25 concludes the whole thing for us. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The mind of the smartest, wisest person in the world was made by God. You can be the wisest person in the world, but if you don't trust in Jesus... You are wallowing in foolishness. Paul puts it all together for us right there. And remember, fools despise wisdom and instruction. <laughs> you see how it all comes together? The message of the cross, of God weakened to the point of humanity and then killed on the cross. That message is foolishness to those who don't believe it. But to those of us who are being saved, and I love that verb tense there, those of us who are being saved, it is everything. It is all the wisdom that we could ever hope to have or want or obtain or be blessed by. The fear of the Lord, witnessing his awe, and feeling your inadequacy, that is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are overwhelmed this morning by the the vastness of your scriptures. Um, by how deep and broad this wonderful gift of the Bible is for us, to the point that we sometimes struggle to understand it. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would have just the tiniest bit of your wisdom, that we would receive from you your grace and your understanding, that we would know Christ crucified, and that we would look to him, in all that supposed and apparent foolishness as your fullness dwelling on earth among us, we pray we would know Jesus, that we would know the Word who is present with you in creation, that we would know wisdom personified, that in knowing Him, we would be made righteous before you we would receive your grace and your holiness. Amen. Well, this godly foolishness of the cross is what we celebrate every week. We come to celebrate it and reenact it and retell that story. And the way we do that is at the communion table. And I'd invite you, uh, as we continue to worship through song, to come to the table, uh, receive the bread and the cup. uh, As his body and blood, as food for your souls in an act of unity with each other and others who share in his riches and wisdom. As you do it today, maybe you can remember the foolishness of the cross and how it is our only hope. Respond uh, as God leads you, and let's worship him together.